Ed Franklin with the Ed Franklin No Limits podcast. You can always contact me at edfranklin.nolimits at gmail.com. And I know I haven't been here as much as I was in the past, but we're getting back on track to do uh, my weekly podcast. We have a guest today named Mavis Lamb. She's awesome. You can't wait to hear her. But just a second, you know, every October, I... I almost said celebrate. That's not what I'm, I, and I, you know, I do the, the um, breast cancer awareness because I have seven daughters and I have a mom and all those things. And I know people have been inflicted by the afflicted by this. And I always want to remind you gentlemen out there that men can get breast cancer too. I have a friend whose husband got breast cancer and every day should be cancer awareness across the U S and the world. But, um, you know, I happen to like the color pink and the NFL does it and all that. So I always, you know, respect uh, all these people that have gone through this. So with that being said, Mavis, um, I met Mavis through Deborah Sweet, who was on my podcast a while back. And uh, we had a phone conversation a couple of weeks ago and just seemed to hit it off. We have a lot of ideas in common and things like that. And so Mavis, thank you again for being on. Welcome to my podcast. Um, trying to get more listeners, you, you, people like you help me because you have a lot of connect, con, uh, connections and things like that. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. And I was so excited when you mentioned uh, breast cancer awareness that mm -hmm. you mentioned men um, because I, I, it is so true. And I think that it's, everybody needs to pay attention. So I appreciate that. And by the way, pink's a good color on you. It, it It's good in your background. Well, we have a rodeo in Poway every year and I've been going to it for 25 years and it used to be tough enough to wear pink yeah. this Friday night. Right. And, um, my wife says I'm one of those people I can wear any color and I'm tough enough and big enough to wear pink. I was at the dentist a while back and someone said, Oh, you know, that looks good on you. You, you don't mind wearing pink. I said, who's going to tell me not to wear pink. I mean, you know, <laughs> I know right. I don't mind it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I usually have to have a pink hat on, but I'll have that on more. So, so Mavis, when we uh, spoke on the phone, you have a fascinating background, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and what you've done, where you really connected with me when you talked about videos. Oh, yes. So tell me about, tell me a little bit about that. So I I love to say, I, I got my background in, in film and video production, and I made and produced music videos way back when MTV and VH1 actually showed videos, music videos, so which is... I won't say how many years ago that was, uh, <laughs> but that's where I kind of came into the production industry and the storytelling uh, aspect of it and, and just had a blast. I, I started my career in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I say it was the decade I spent about three years there and it was the longest three years, but I, I, I learned a lot. And then I moved on to Nashville, Tennessee, because I started doing country music videos and had a blast there and started getting into more script writing and storytelling and other, other types of video production yeah. and ended up in Seattle. Washington and worked with women in film Seattle out there for a while and did all kinds of stuff and and then I took kind of the storytelling part of it and shifted uh, into some marketing copy uh, you know that back when everybody used to have to have a brochure right. then everybody had to have a website and and you know it, it has evolved as technology and things evolve but for me the one thing that has always held true is the story if there's not a story to tell then there's no reason for somebody to listen to you. Well, I've told, I told you on our phone conversation. So the no limits podcast is about getting over limitations, telling your story, getting over excuses. Cause I can make an excuse for anything. Absolutely. And self-confidence. Cause I think it's at our lowest in the history of the world. I think our self-esteem, especially for young people is very low. And with the new things going on in politics, it's going to get lower because mm -hmm. no one, it's just not being sure of what's going to happen next. Yeah. The storytelling, I've talked a lot of, I did a couple podcasts on that, just telling, you know, everybody has two stories in their life, in my opinion, that you can dwell on all the bad stuff when you grew up or, and how you got to where you're at, or you can tell all the things that you learned and got all the positive things out. Mm -hmm. Now, we obviously don't want to tell that bad story to every, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry that we run into, but I think as being in sales for the last 35 years, storytelling is important when you're selling, right? Yeah. And you just say you did some coaching too. You do coaching for 
I do. I'm, I'm actually, um, as far as the writing and the storytelling, I do ghostwriting and coaching to help people tell their story. I, what I really do is I'm, I'm an intuitive and I help people kind of see, I shine a light on what's getting in their way. And sometimes they know what it is, but sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm thinking, I think of the story, you know, don't hide your light under a bushel. Uh, bushel basket right and and sometimes we put that bushel basket on ourselves sometimes somebody else has put on it so we don't even know it's there right and so it just helped people kind of say hey let's let's take that off let's let you shine and tell your story and stand in who you really are so i had a friend of mine that was an insurance agent and i used to talk to her about a lot about this because i could say you know what there's so many insurance people out there and she's a farmer's agent so many farmer's agents but the difference with you is you took it, you worked with your dad and took it over. And then after he passed away, you continued. Now your son works there. Yeah. I said, you need to get the message out that you're a mom and a daughter and a wife and all these other things. And you're in the insurance business because it brings credibility, right? It's the mm -hmm. marketing piece of your thing. So I think that's really cool that you do that. And, um, you know, those videos told a story, right? So when you go back to that, I always thought in my mind, sometimes I'll hear a song and I can come up with kind of a video in my mind of how I was growing up during that song or whatever. Yeah. And that's yeah. really cool. So did you work with a lot of superstars and you don't need to name drop? I'm just, did you work on that end? with? I did. I, I, I kind of was the backside of it. I was the one that kind of helped hold all the pieces together and make yeah. sure we got from point A to point B. Um, and but with that, I got to work with and meet some amazing people um, in the pop industry is where I started pop oh, cool. and, and top 40 type, you know, like the stuff that was on MTV and VH1 and then shifted into country music um, and met some amazing people there. And um, so, yeah, I did get to meet some amazing people. And I always I was always just the people that were real weren't always the ones that you would expect to be the most real. Yeah. Um, the superstars weren't always the ones with the entourage and all that. Sometimes it was the people that you didn't expect that. I mean, it was kind of opposites. And I, I loved that. I loved my favorite. We used to do a lot of uh, superstar videos in country music where we invite everybody in to come play along. So we had just a room full of people and it was a lot of coordinating. And I remember they asked, it was a, uh, uh, they asked Reba McIntyre if she would come be in this video. And she said, I would be glad to, but I don't want to be a singer. Let me be the waitress. Like oh, she nice. just wanted to be humble, you know, yeah. and walk around and, and chew gum and act like she was taking everybody's drink order and stuff. And I just loved that about her. And you, you know, look at her today, she's just the megastar and you wouldn't expect that, but that's how she was. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So I don't want to get off on that because I, yeah, that's I, mean, I could probably talk to you for an hour about that, but I want to get back to the coaching. So do you yeah. find, do you have more women or men clients? I would say it's about 50, 50. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, and I would say that, um, most women, I think, feel they have a story, but they need to be encouraged. And most men, and this is just, you know, in general. generalization, they know they have a story, but maybe they don't have the time to get into the details of telling it. They're, they're more schedule related and like, I just don't have time to do it. I just need you to help me. Whereas the women might be a little bit more, I need a little emotional support to tell my story, to feel brave enough to tell my story. That's interesting. So I said I had seven daughters. We just had our 19th grandchild yesterday. Wow. I know it's crazy. And they're about even on men and uh, girls and boys. But my, my oldest daughter is very business person, you know, very good business person. And she's very tall and blonde. And she works in an industry that has a lot of men. It's gov in government down south in Louisiana. And she was commenting on that she didn't feel like she was getting the respect and I think it's part of that's the culture she's in, but part of it's just a broad culture, just in, in the U.S. or in the world, maybe. So I've always had good luck with women supervisors, owners, managers, customers, client, whatever. And, but I think it's my attitude going in is I don't have any preconceived notion mm -hmm. just because it's a girl, right? Right. A woman. And, um, you know, I have to encourage her. It's one of those things where she'll say something and then another guy will say it. No, hey, good idea, Jim. And well, Samantha just said it kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I was wondering if that, if you get that sense that women aren't as confident sometimes 
in just in business in general? That can be the truth. I think yeah. that when it comes late to this, because, you know, sales, we're all in sales, no matter what we do, because we have to get a client, close a client, like do the project, sometimes. right? That's you a whole other like that. yeah. topic. But what I have found is that it comes down to relationships and women are better at building the relationship and men tend to be better at making the deal you got to do both sure. and and sometimes women are a little less comp they don't want to be pushy they don't want to come across too tough so th so they keep baby stepping into it and building the relationship and building in the relationship and men sometimes skip that part and just say let's do business and so i think the best is the balance of the two yeah. but i think that that's even true in stories you know in in telling your story and and i loved what you said about sales because it it popped something in my head where when I was doing marketing writing, and even today, it's like, if, if somebody doesn't know why you do what you do, they assume it's for the money, because that's the only common denominator. Mm -hmm. So when you can tell your story, this is why I do what I do. This is how I got here. This is why I have the type of clients I do. This is what, then people, like you said, then they can relate to you. And, and it may not be, everybody's not going to be your client. That's okay. Everybody shouldn't be. But yeah, the you don't people that the connect to yeah, people that connect to your story and relate to you and and can identify with that, mm -hmm. then those are going to be the better clients for you anyway. So tell your story. So I tell you know I've been doing this for a long time, and what I find is that I'll tell salespeople, young people especially, when you're headed to an account, first of all, make qualify the account. Yes. You know, don't go try to sell men's shoes to women, because it's just they're not they're probably not going to buy them. So they just become a lost statistic. Excuse me, I'm going to choke here. But I said, go into that that meeting as I'm going to meet a new friend, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn about somebody new. I'm going to find out what their story is. I'm going to share my story. It takes the pressure off of the sale, right? Yeah. Then once you call, then once you're comfortable, now they're going to start bleeding out to you more than likely. They're still going to tell you about these problems they have. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, I'm sorry. And then that's where you that's where you can you know jump on that problem, right? Oh, we can handle that. This is what we've done in the past. We've been doing this for a long time. And um I get the, a lot of first of all, the worst salesmen are the ones that don't follow up, and we have a lot of those mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, when they do follow up, they're not they're just wanting to sell, like just close that deal right away. Yep. And that's necessarily what that customer wants. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I was just thinking about uh, like business conferences and conventions where you get all these people and everybody goes because they think, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a lot of contacts. And I'm going to close a lot of business. And one of the, the greatest equalizers you can do is say, how many of you people, you got the crowd together, how many of you here came to sell something or get a new client? Every hand in the room goes up. Yeah. And I go, okay, great. How many of you came here to buy something or become a client? No hands go up because that's, skipping the step like you said you got you got to connect yeah. and and you've got to build that relationship and that becomes part of the story and and I love a great way to get into somebody's story and talking about their problems when they whatever they talk about whatever they're going through how's your day what's your big project uh what do you got on your calendar then ask them well who's helping you with that and the life. first thing what well who's helping you with that now it may mean I have a referral for you I have somebody that can help or it may just mean you shouldn't be doing this alone. Who Who's your sounding board? Who's your mastermind group? Um, whatever it is. And those kinds of questions help people open up about what's really going on. And of course, we all know sales, it's all problem solving. 100%. You know, you're not, you don't want to buy a mattress. You want a better night's sleep. That'll, that whole spiel, right? Like people have problems and you want to help solve them. Well, and that kind of takes me to that marketing piece where, I went to work for a company once and the guy, the owner says, uh, I said, well, what does your son do? He says, he's a sales and marketing person. I said, you know, that's two different jobs, right? Marketing is more of an operational job. Sales is kind of a relationship. And I said, they can, they can hurt each other if you do them the wrong way, right? Marketing is about credibility. Right. It's that introduction to that, your, your wife, right? That's it's, it's not, you can't walk up to your wife before you know her in a bar and she's like, no, get away from me, you weirdo. <laughs> Someone comes to her and says, you know, Ed's a good guy. He does this and that, but, you know, 
that's the marketing piece, right? That's mm-hmm. the credibility part where the, now the woman, now the guard comes down and says, oh, no, I'd be interested, you know, if that's what he's into or whatever, you know. Yeah. Good stuff. And um, and that credibility is is important. And that's where helping with that problem. Look, we've done jobs like this before. So I'm in a moving business. And what my thing, I always get that, well, what's your hourly rate? I said, let's not worry about that yet. Let's figure out what are you trying to do, right? Yeah. I just want a job that I, I kind of didn't think I was going to get because I thought the guy's budget was too small. And I never, I don't really discuss pricing when I'm mm-hmm. at that sales piece. I'm trying to figure out what he wants. Tell me what you want. And I can tell you if we can do it or not. Right. And we ended up almost doubling the cost of the move, but he's got all of his problems taken care of, right? Right. He doesn't have to get involved anymore. Right. And I was talking to someone said to me yesterday, Ed, why don't you coach sales? I said, because first of all, the class would last 10 minutes. If the people would listen, I could write a sales book in one page. There's 10 right. things to do in sales. It's all you get. It's it's not that difficult. We overthink sales. But if you go online and put in sales classes or sales training or whatever, you get about 4 million hits in the, mm-hmm. in, you know, on the website. And I know they're not all good at it. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and it's just, so that I don't, it's like, I don't act like I need the business anymore. Of course I need mm-hmm. the business. I need to eat. But if I don't get that customer, it's all right. There's another customer. Exactly. And uh, But you're absolutely right. When and This is what kind of goes back to our conversation originally when we talked is about COVID and how I just think everything changed after COVID. And everybody's like, no, it's back to normal. I said, no, it is not back to normal. And you agreed with me. Yes. And, and uh, let's talk about that a little bit because I'm, I'm starting to rethink how I'm even networking anymore because the wrong people are showing up. Right, right. And I don't know what happened. You know, it's probably a little different for everybody, but there was such a, uh, an immediate shutdown of, of the norm of how we did business, how we met new people, how we networked, how we got new clients, whatever it was we were doing, it all changed. Right. And I remember when, when it first started and and people were like, Zoom, what, what is that? Like, you know, Sure, some people had it, but a lot of people didn't. They may have had something, but it wasn't the same. And people began to, um, first of all, we just shut down altogether. We didn't want to talk to anybody. We didn't want to go anywhere. I mean, unless it was somebody you already knew, you were like, you may stay your six feet away. You yeah. may make it 12. And I think okay that with that a lot with people that used to see each other all the time don't see each other now. Yeah, they just, yeah. It, it just shifted. And then people, and, and I, I don't know exactly what happened, but it's almost like people forgot how to connect to people. They yeah. forgot how to to build that relationship. And, you know, what do you mean I have to see you in real life? What do you mean I have to be in the same room with you? I don't know what to say anymore. It was this whole thing of, of um, people, all of a sudden everybody was on Facebook or TikTok or whatever your social media platform of choice was, but there was this barrier. And you could say whatever you wanted or not. You could be a stalker and just observe. You could put in a shot and disappear. I'm going to yeah. say something really mean and watch what happens. Um, and people forgot the, for lack of a better phrase, the niceties life. They forgot how to each other. Um, and, and we got too focused on our differences um, as well, if I they agree. didn't exist before. Well, that was, and that was the political landscape too. Yes. Which is still happening now. It, it is still happening. Um, and I think that people got really comfortable in, I only want to be, and, and when you were online, you could easily be in the world of your echo chamber. You didn't have to connect with anybody who didn't have anything different to bring to the table other than what you already had. And people got really comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And and I don't remember who first said it, so I'm not going to be able to give credit, but but there was sort of this concept of people began to think freedom of speech meant freedom from speech so that I don't have to listen to you. Well, that's fine, but they took it to, I can also then shut you down. And, and then you take that into the business world and you take that into people having to go to work and work in the cubicle situation. Yeah. Um, and they now have to actually offer classes these bigger corporations in office etiquette because they have lost the ability like nobody ever cared what i believed back before covid yeah i mean they just like well that's ed i I didn't have to give them a political resume um in order to be their friend right and Mm -hmm. i have a good friend i'm going to breakfast with him on friday that we are about you know 
about both ends out on politics. Right. But we get along fine because it's just not something we bring up. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with them on some stuff. I just came up in a different environment. Right. Just have a different viewpoint on some of those things. That's just like I is. have all these kids, people are like, well, I don't like kids. Well, that's your business. I don't care. You that's know? your life. That's okay. Right. But yeah. you're right. I think that, um, well, and then I think then you couple that again with some, with millennials who grew up with these phones in their hand, mm-hmm. who already are struggling a little bit possibly with social skills. Mm-hmm. And then we peppered uh, COVID in too. Yeah, I, I can see what exactly what you're saying. I think you're yeah. 100% right. They've ju- they just, some of them never got the skill set. Yeah. You know, um, because it was always, you know, the phone in the, and I was like this, and I could be, some of the most amazing things in the world, you'd be out in a restaurant and there's a table of, you know, four, four or more people and every single one of them is on their phone. I know. And you're like, are you texting each other or doing something completely different? Like, why are you here together if you don't want to be together? And, and I think that also people like that whole, you know, don't share your story type thing comes back into play with, I always assume anytime I'm in a group of people, that half of them think differently than me. And some oh. of them, like you said, 180 degrees different. Some are, yes. some are with me, some are here, some are, you know. And, and if you know that, then okay, just that's just the way it is. It's just like how people learn differently or think differently. You know, some people want to hear it. Some people want to see it. Some people want to write it down or read it or whatever. We all are different. And what has happened is there's, and I don't know if it's necessarily true, but it's perceived as true that if I voice an opinion or tell a story mm-hmm. that is different from someone, I'm going to get shut down. And and I think that has had an impact in people being able to just stand and tell their story. Your story doesn't have to be for everybody else. Whatever Whatever your experience, whatever your if you're selling a product or a service, you know, if you're, if you're doing, you want to tell your story for business, or if you just want to tell your story for personal reasons, yeah, it doesn't matter how many other people like your story. You know, um, if you touch one other person, that's enough. Sure. But we have kind of gotten to the point where we're afraid to do that because we've become fearful. And I take that back to you. We're afraid to let our light shine. We're afraid in you don't have to shout it from the rooftop. You don't have to shove it down anybody's throat. You can just stand and shine. Yep. No, I agree with that. My, um, I was telling this person I was talking to yesterday about sales. I had this customer. This guy was just a tyrant, right? When he was at, not to me, but to, I could see how he interacted with other people. He was definitely a poison in their company, right? But I had to call on him directly. And I remember one day going in and I said, he was starting to get wound up, not at me again around what was going on, but I'm, I got to encourage him to buy something, right? Or was telling him about a product or something. And I saw he had a picture of these two little redhead twins on his wall. And I said, are those your kids? And he's like, his whole demeanor changed oh. right now. He's now he's telling me about his kids and what they do and about their mom and, and all this stuff. And then I have been friends with this guy. Now his kids are like my age, my kids age, like in their thirties. And we will all I'll say, hey, how are the boys doing? Oh, man, they're doing good. They started bowling and whole different demeanor. And we ended yeah. up being very good friends. And I didn't see him having a lot of those people around. And I'm always encouraging salespeople. Look around the guy's office or the gal's office. You can tell it there. They might have fishing pictures up. Like, mm-hmm. I don't fish, but I'm glad to ask somebody, oh, do you do that a lot? Yeah. I fish at Costco, right? That's the easy way. It's all clean and <laughs> yeah, right. Ready to go. But. I find that most people like to talk about themselves. And if you can ask them, if you can figure something out and find it, I listen to enough politics and sports and stuff that I can stay in a conversation. I don't really follow all that, but enough to, you know, you be aware, you got to be a little bit, you know, worldly if you're out there selling a little bit at least. Yeah. But that story thing. So let's go back to that for a second. Cause you said something. Do you, do you think people sometimes want to tell the bad part of their story because they think it's important? Yes. Okay. I think that if it's important to them, it's important. That doesn't mean that everybody else needs to hear it all right. the time, or that may not be your lead in. But I feel like, and I, I mean this with all due respect sure. to people that have traumas in their life, because there are real 
traumatic, horrible things that can happen to people. Yes. But it's become, unfortunately, the word trauma has become so overused that people say, well, that's a trauma trigger when I'm like, well, they just told you no. They didn't, you know, that that we have lost the inability a little bit to differentiate between a bad incident and trauma. That's a very good point. And I talk about this on my podcast a lot that I, I do, I want to do more public speaking. And one of the setups for this is that you've either had, you're having, or you're going to have some kind of trauma in your life, right? Yes. And it, it can't even, it's not even, it has to happen to you. It can happen in and around you and it can affect you, right? It can affect your kids and things like that. You still have to deal with that. And I don't think that if you're going to hire a coach or you're going to go to real estate school or you're going to do all these things, if you're not the best version of yourself, you're in a, your ability to learn is lessened if you have this trauma going on mm-hmm. or your ability to, because we're all taking, I don't know if you have kids, but we're either taking care of kids, parents, you know, siblings, employees, we're all probably nurturing somebody, especially people that are, have the guts to come on and do what we're doing right now. Right we're probably in charge of somebody at some level. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying it's just just typically, I kind of feel like that's, we're, we're, we're not shy, right? We can get out and talk. And if you don't address that, you're going to have a harder time taking care of, and then you're going to have a harder time taking care of yourself. Right. So about six weeks, eight weeks ago, I started going, getting up at four in the morning, going to the gym. I kept listening to these guys talk and say, this is life changing and everything. I said, okay, I'm going to try it. It is life-changing, by the way, for me. Yeah. <laughs> because it's my time. Nobody's around. Well, the people at the gym are around. More than you'd think, by the way, if you don't do that. And it's very good time for me to reflect on my story, to change my story, to alter it, to do whatever I have to do. And it's really, and and then no one needs anything from me while I'm there. Yeah. Right. right. And, I, and I think my goal is to get people to start being a little selfish and start thinking of themselves. Ultimately, it's the most unselfish thing to do because the higher they're operating, higher level they're operating, the better they can take care of those other people and earn money and do all those things they need to do. And do do all those wonderful things that you have to do and you want to do, then you get to do. Like, you know, we've talked about that before. I have to do something or I get to do something. And, And it's the same thing, but the wording changes your perspective and um i feel like people that are good at taking care of others whether it's kids people at work spouses parents doesn't matter we do that because that's who we are but there but we have to stop and it isn't selfish to say i gotta have some downtime yeah i've got to have whatever whatever this window is and it's going to be different for different people for some people getting up at four in the morning going to work out would be like well why are you torturing me i what did i do you know <laughs> who'd i hurt but okay. but for other i people, say that to myself sometimes <laughs> sometimes you do well you know it's so funny when you talk about that time where you couldn't do anything for anybody else because um a a, a very pampering thing and I, I haven't done it in ages since i used i started working at my husband's bar but i used to get my nails done mm-hmm. and get acrylics and things on that and and the cool thing about that was when i had that appointment it was a twofold thing that i realized yes i was i was taking a little time i could not do anything for anybody else while i was getting my nails done i couldn't even pick up my phone right because my hand you know so i got to sit there for an hour or whatever it was and get taken care of and i used to come in every two weeks and the other thing i noticed in that two-week window and it helped me get through the days was like something was on my mind something was going on at work something and i thought i don't know how i'm going to get through this and then all of a sudden two weeks later i'm getting my nails done and i got through it yeah and so i'm like oh it's like, these will, it's like a subconscious goal almost in your brain. It, yeah. it was. And it was sort of like, well, you know, so far my record of getting through bad days, 100%. Oh, okay, here I go, you know. And so it's just there's a balance that we need to bring to ourselves. Of We do have to have some downtime. We do have to have some. Um, and it may be time where we do absolutely nothing like get your nails done or get a massage, even though you're still doing for yourself. Yeah. You, you know, you're not physically doing it. It may be working out where you're putting in the actual work. It may be taking time to read a book That's what because my wife you does. love to She's read, but you never have the time anymore. She'll take that hour before at night. Sometimes at her lunch, she's downstairs right now. She takes a lunch, she eats and then reads for 15 minutes. That's really her 
for a long time. And I've talked about meditation. I think meditation's great. And people go, well, I don't know how to meditate. I say, go online, go onto YouTube, look at meditate. You only got to do it for five minutes. I, yeah. I was something brought tears to my eyes the other day. I don't know what it was, but my grandkids were here and they went, Papa, you cried. And I said, are you kidding me? I go on a corner and curl up like a baby and cry sometimes. I mean, sometimes pressure gets so much. You got to just, you know, and I've told people, I've encouraged people, look, just go cry somewhere, go to the beach, whatever, get away mm-hmm. just for five minutes. It's an emotion, just like anger and everything else. you got to exercise that emotion sometimes you and do. it won't kill you. Right. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of any of those things. It's kind of a meditative at some level. Yeah. And I don't say you just don't do it for any reason. Like all you girls do. Just kidding. That was a bad shot. <laughs> That's a shot at women right there. Yeah. Well, but, we'll let that there. go. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, I think that, uh, and, or I don't know, I don't know if I buy the piece that, uh, bleeding out on Facebook is good for that, that I start getting kind of weird on when people start publicly doing that a lot. And it's generally the same people, you know, that will do that. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if that's the best exercise because you're going to get some resistance, obviously. Right. And maybe that's what they want. I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a time and a place for everything. Yeah. Um, too much information is still too much information. And um, there are people that put, every, and part, maybe it's younger. I don't know that they're used to doing it and there are no more filters. And I think there are still people that believe that the internet will disappear. Like, like if I put that something on the internet when I was in high school, that's not going to show up again when I'm 25. Well, yeah, it will. It doesn't go away. And, and so there's, there's that kind of, uh, like when was it when did it become okay to to air our dirty laundry in public to people that you don't even know you don't know who's going to read it that's right. i'm always like you know only the some things are only for the nearest and dearest and i believe there are some stuff some things that we're we're going to still hold just quiet in our heart yeah i'm going to deal with that one on my own i'm not going to share that i i i had a friend that used to do that and finally with this particular friend i realized that um they had a lot of health issues. They couldn't get out. They couldn't do a lot of things. This was their only outlet. Yeah. And I'm like, got it. That's Different I mean, you know, case by case, obviously, but Absolutely. I think maybe some people, I, I have gone to my kids um, when all this stuff first started, like in 2000s, right? And um, I went to my oldest daughter, who's a business person and said, no, I, I would take that now. Off. I, I just, that was probably a bad call on your part. And it wasn't, horrible but i just said this is just something if you're working at a job this is something no one wants to see right and she did she took it down she goes i get it more now and she understands it more now she has a 13 year old daughter so yeah she understands that so i'm on i'm on social media a lot because i'm usually either promoting my podcast or making videos or talking about 19 grandkids or we try to keep it pretty positive and i post something Mm -hmm. positive every day online just a positive meme but i'm stealing and they're not my memes and when I don't do that for about a week, I get people come back to me and go, Eddie, you all right? I haven't seen any posts. And I'm, but it's all positive stuff. Right. My biggest thing with the podcast, like if I told a lot of my story, I would embarrass a lot of people, right? And not that they did anything. It would just, it would expose them to maybe some truth that they don't want to hear. That right. primarily my kids, mm-hmm. most of my relatives are dead. I can tell stories about them, but so I so I back off because people say, oh, you should tell that story. I'm like, no, because the, the kid that's involved in that would be implicated and I don't right. want to, I'm not going to embarrass them. It's right. a good story. I could probably get a lot of views that way, but I'm not going to do it at their, you know, at the cost of them. Right. So this, so somebody just wrote about this Jada Pinkett Smith person just wrote a book. Mm-hmm. I know she's a whack job, but now it's starting, it's, it's starting that ball to roll, which she probably loves because she's in the, in that business, right? Yep. Good or bad publicity. Good or bad. publicity. Yeah. She's, in, you know, most celebrities, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, there can be, we have found out, but overall, as long as they're out there, they feel like they're validated because they're now, people are talking about them and people are going, well, what did they do? And and, and they're looking into that. But I am with you that um, I often, people say, well, they'll ask me something about somebody else or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's not my story to tell. Right. Exactly. So 
if you want to talk to them, you may go do that. And um, and it, it's like I used to I don't know if you're familiar with what Stephen ministry is, but I used to be a Stephen minister and I trained Stephen ministers. And what we they were lay people who come alongside anybody going through something. Mm -hmm. You don't fix it. You're just there. You're a presence. You listen. You pray with them. You're just there. But the it, but one of the key things is you never told anyone that you were, I'm so-and-so's Stephen minister. They're going oh, yeah. through, a divorce. you know, they could say it however they wanted. Oh, Mavis is my Stephen minister. Well, that's up to them. But even if somebody came up to me and said, I just heard from so-and-so that you're not like, you know, you may talk to them about that. I don't talk about who I help and who I support because that's not what we do. Um, and so I have a, uh, I just, a couple of my grandkids had to have some pretty serious trauma, like way worse than I've ever had in my life. And I, it's hard to make them understand that whatever they tell the therapist is confidential. Yeah. Right. They're not going to tell me. And they're like, are you sure? I said, I promise you. They, they lose their job. Yeah. So you can tell them whatever you want. Now, I probably know what they're telling them, but I want to, this is where that social media kind of blows out your, well, I thought all this was private kind of thing. Yes. And and that's that going back to that storytelling, you got you do have to be careful with what you tell people. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to be starting to cry when you're in a sales meeting because you were talking, telling your story and you've gone overboard and now the person's going, Well, what the fuck do I do now? I mean, right. This lady's crying in front of me. So you've got to you've got to be uh, you know, aware of what you're how far you're going. Well, yeah, and I think that that also is if you haven't been telling your story and all of a sudden you do. Your emotions are going to be ahead of it. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to use part of your story to talk about why you do what you do or how you help people because you went through something or, or whatever, you have to tell it enough that you're comfortable just sharing the story and right. it's okay. Yeah. You can be emotional. You can take a pause. You, you know, you can be there emotionally but your emotions aren't ahead of you where you lose that control. And that comes from getting comfortable with telling your story. And I think that there's that balance. So some people like they, that's why they just don't tell it at all. They, they, they don't want to get emotional. They don't want to be vulnerable. Right. Right. So and, that's one of the things I've done in this podcast has gotten more vulnerable mm -hmm. and I get complimented on that at one level. I mean, that's it. I mean, I get complimented on it because I'm, I am opening him up saying some things, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're on a roll. No, 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 you're fine. But that's, I think that's, we, we have to be first vulnerable with ourselves because right. sometimes we don't even tell ourselves what we're dealing with. That bushel over your light that I was talking about. Sometimes we put it on ourselves or mm -hmm. sometimes somebody else put it or they put it and we put a weight on top of it, you know, that we tamp down because we have to get through the day or or the messaging was that nobody's going to want to hear your story or believe or or whatever it is going on or you thought you dealt with it and it wasn't a big deal but that's the thing that keeps coming back and getting in your way and so you have to first be vulnerable with yourself and just own it and that's where whether it's meditation or journaling or just you know whatever whatever works for you to help you kind of get comfortable with this is my story I can't tell my story if I don't know my story. And so sometimes we have things that block us. And, you know, I was talking about trauma and sometimes it is a big trauma. Sometimes it's what I call little trauma. And, um, and what is amazing sometimes to me is when I, when I work with people that it's a little thing that one person said to them 20, 30, 40 years oh, yeah. ago that, that just, the wall, the door slammed shut, the window came down, whatever it was. And they don't even remember. I mean, they barely remember who said it, right. but it was there. And they were told something or they heard something, even if it wasn't what, because we interpret, we have our own filters on how we hear what people say. And, and so you have to get through that and realize, oh, that's why I do what I do. Or that's why I do it that way or don't do it. I think I've may have in some people's life been that person that said that thing right and they probably took it wrong they probably shouldn't have given me so much power right mm. and, mm -hmm. um and i didn't realize how much power they were giving me kind of thing right 
that's interesting. So I had tell this story about this guy. I wanted to be, I wanted to do public speaking. So I found this guy that does a lot of public speaking. I've known him for years. And we sit down and he goes, well, Ed, you've never done anything in your life. How can you, what are you going to talk about? And I'm like, well, shit, dude, that was kind of sucked. So I went out and sat in my car and was like, what the hell just happened? I mean, but then I started thinking and I had to overcome that. I said, you know, he never raised eight kids. He didn't have seven daughters. I mean, just that I could talk about for an hour. Right. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. Yes, he had done some things bigger than me, but he didn't, didn't do a lot of things, the little things that I did in life. I always say Tom Brady couldn't do my life. I couldn't play football, but he couldn't play. He couldn't handle my life either. Exactly. Doesn't have the skills, but um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I often tell people, you know, you have to understand, I tell my kids this, understand that wherever you're at in life, you got yourself there, yes. right? good and bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you did something, you ate too much or whatever, you gained 50 pounds. Well, you gained the 50 pounds. No one just yeah. threw 50 pounds on you. So you're going to have to deal with and unwind that. And right. it's doable. That's what we do. That We do this our whole life. We unwind things from our past, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or I've been, I've been married twice before my current wife and we'll be together 25 years at the beginning of the year. Well, I wasn't good at it with those two women, right? We probably got married too quick or whatever the mm-hmm. reason is mm-hmm. um but this this one works out great so i always wonder and you get these tony robbins and you know jack canfields and all these guys and and they're all these experts on relationships and they can tell you and then they've all been divorced like four or five times right this is the funniest thing in the world it's got to be one of the hardest things to do in the world is stay married if it's statistically yeah. it's you know yep but it's always funny when an expert is telling me about relationships and I'm like, and he's like, Oh yeah, I was married three times. I'm like, well, shit, you're only an expert because you failed twice. <laughs> exactly. Just through times. experience. You had to learn something somewhere along yes. the way. So let's talk about um, ghostwriting. Um, mm-hmm. This fascinates me. So I, I am not sure what the definition of a ghostwriter is. Now, if I had a story that I wanted to tell and I could kind of articulate it to you and then you would elaborate on it or have, how does that work? There are different levels okay. of ghostwriting. So, for example, I had somebody that kind of had written all their stuff. It was a, a series of books about nutrition. And so, you know, it wasn't like a, their life story. It was just how you do what you do. But it was just written so dryly that nobody would ever even gotcha. want to read it, even though the knowledge was there. So in that case, I come in and I help kind of Make it interesting. Let's get a hook to hang all these things on, and let's let's build this this story. Um, so there's that level. There are people that um, have nothing started, and you know I do things like I record people, I interview them, and I record them because that helps me get their voice, not my voice, and we tell their story. Um, so so there's there's editing stuff. There's there's kind of writing it together and then there's just give me give me your raw data and I'll and I'll put it together. The whole thing about ghostwriting is that you don't get credit. Of course. Otherwise you're a co-author. And oh, and yeah. some celebrities, I forget who it was that just had a book coming out that they co-authored with somebody. It was, you know, um and and some people are okay with that and some people they want to make it look like they wrote it. And I will guarantee you like all these celebrity memoirs, they did not write them themselves. Um, yeah. They're their stories, yeah. and somebody sat down and interviewed them and put it together, and they approved it. But they don't have the time, you know. And that's yeah. like I always am amazed at these people are like they have another book out. I'm like they got a team of people working with them because just they can't do that and do their job. So sometimes the ghostwriters are just there because you don't have the time it and then takes. They kind of learn the person's personality, and they can kind of start being consistent the way they write it. So yeah. Before Donald Trump was where Donald Trump is now, in like the 19, maybe the 2000s, I read, uh, uh, what's the one, of the, uh, the Deal. Art, the Art of the Deal. Yes. So I got the Audible book because I used to travel a lot and I was mm-hmm. going to say, well, I'll just drive and read it. And he did not talk in the book. Some other guy did it. Sure. It, the book made it book terrible because the guy was kind of trying to act like Donald Trump at some level and try to be oh. emotional. And it was so bad. I'm like, Jesus, I should have read this book, not listen not to listen. this guy. Now, some yeah. other books, um, the the actual person will do it. And when they do it, it seems more credible to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And with this you know, guy, fiction, was... any other people can, can do that. But when yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a memoir or their story, it's yeah. going to be so much more powerful if they do it. And you've been doing that for how long, the copywriting? 
gosh. I'm sorry. Ghostwriting in that. That's okay. I started as a copywriter. We yeah. talked about that too. Ghostwriting. I guess I started 15 years ago or so. Yeah, it evolved ago. into that. Um, and, and I started just kind of helping people. You know, it came from your brochure is your story. I told that, to, you know, and then you had this book that you that you wanted to do. And and so I have worked with a lot of different people in a lot of different capacities. Um, and I've worked with there's a publisher sometimes like somebody connects me with a publisher and they might have two or three. Hey, this client needs help. That client needs help. Um, or they just introduce me to somebody and, and I, I work with them on on um, my my own. But I think for me, one of the biggest compliments, it was a fairly recent, it was, it was about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, somebody was, there was some reviews on this person's book who I, I ghost wrote it for them. And they said, I can tell he wrote this himself because it sounds just like him. Oh, nice. I see. And I was like, yeah. score, you know, that's what I want. It's not my story. And you kind of hang out with those people so you can kind of get a feeling for their the yeah, I, I, like I said, I spend a lot of time because I can do it anywhere like this. I spend yeah. a lot of time on Zoom or on the phone or if they have a podcast or a blog or anything like that, I, they get that to me um, and share certain things so that I can listen to them um, and and begin to understand their their voice, but also the why behind. Because, again, why are you doing this? What's your story? If I don't yeah. understand that, it's not going to be authentic. And so, so that's the way that I work. And I always laugh because people go, well, who have you ghostwritten for? Can't tell you because that's the whole point. And, and some people will maybe thank me in, in their acknowledgements. They may not. Yeah. They don't say why. They just, oh, I'd like to thank Mavis Lamb. So if you ever see that, probably I hope them write that book. <laughs> but um, it's sort of like, I, it's not for me to say. And some place, some people actually sign a, an NDA. Say, yeah, there's probably an NDA. And I have no problem with that. You know, um, I always say, as long as the check cleared, of course. It's, that's all the, that's all the credit I need right there. But I have other people that loudly, I was at a book signing for somebody and I was introducing myself and they're like, oh, they've been talking about you and how you help them do this. So that person has no problem yeah. and in fact has given me a phone saying this person she did my book and it you know it was great and it sounded just like i had done it and and you need to go have you need to talk to her to have them do your book so um it just that's again that's their choice i tell you i, I don't tell that in my head that we'll talk about it offline but um and i've, I've started it and i would definitely need someone to go through it because i am not a writer i think i get I think if I wrote faster and less good, it would get done. Right? I hear you. And then yes. someone could clean it up because I think I get caught in some details and I'm like, I don't, I'm over explaining this, this, this person, whoever helped me could figure out how to word we, that. We've, we've talked about this several times. Yeah. And, and I think that um, when I'm doing my own stuff or is, even if I was writing for a client when I used to do a lot of script writing, I did the same thing. I'd call, I'd edit as I was writing like, Oh, that's not right. Oh, that's not right. No, I think I and I, you can't get past the first page, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I invent, I invented for myself and somebody said, Oh, you should do a whole thing on that. I call it the, the benefit of draft zero. And it, and what I, what I mean by that is write and know that no one is ever going to see this. You don't have to send it to your client. And you can put notes in it so that when you got to that, am I over explaining this? I would just put that in parentheses. I think I've over explained this or this is not the word I want, but I couldn't come up with the other word. And instead of stopping, going to this thesaurus, you know, looking up a word or checking the meeting, I just keep writing. And I can put notes aside, like just rewrite this later. This is the worst thing you've ever done. But anyway, back to the whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And then later I'll go back and I can edit. It's always easier to look at words on a page and edit, then stare at a blank screen or a yeah, blank piece of paper. That. That, that can be quite overwhelming for people. So the way this podcast started is we were at Thanksgiving at my daughter's house a couple of years ago. And she goes, you know, dad, you should do a podcast. This was during COVID. And I'm like, well, I don't really know what a podcast is. So I came home and I got with my mentor under 30, right? You always should have one of those with yes. technology and called him and he goes, oh yeah, it's a piece of cake. I said, well, what if I screwed up? It's just, it doesn't matter. There's no rules. That's the great thing. You just do another one. 
So I have over 100 episodes and I wish I had 500, but I need to get, you know, do more marketing and things like that and kind of either commit or get. So the why was to help younger people. First of all, know two things. One, you're going to turn 80 one day. Yes. Right. It's hard to get a 16 year old and say, you're going to be 20. They're like, no way. It's so far away. It's so far away. I've been 23 times now. Right. Right. And then, then to get them to understand that that trauma is going to probably happen. How are you going to deal with it when it comes? And maybe you don't make as many mistakes as I did because you think about things a little longer or different things. Because that's, that was kind of how the direction was going. But my statistics, my, demographics say i'm talking to people from 20 to 80 so which is fine i don't care who listens but we get kind of i get kind of everybody all over the board so all right so a question that i used to ask all my guests when i first started and it i thought it was going to be an easy question for people (laughs) it will be for you oh i hope so but i was very surprised i couldn't get straight answers all the time do have you ever had anybody in your life that was a really good leader because we talk about leaders, we talk about, I've talked about servant leadership, which is a, which is redundant. If you're a leader, you're in servitude to whoever you're Correct. leading. Correct. If you're doing it well. And it always drives me nuts when I see those two words. It's like a new buzzword, right? For the last couple mm-hmm. of years is servant leadership. And I started looking back at my life saying, man, I never really worked for or had an, a good leader that I felt like he was doing the right or she was doing the right things, whatever, maybe my mom, but you know, is there anybody that pops into your mind when I say that to you? Specifically work or just life in general? Any life in general. So my dad was one of the best leaders. Nice. Um, ever. Good. And, and in such a way that, that he, he's gone now, but, but we would know what he all there's, uh, there, I'm one of four and we all know if you ask dad, what would he say? And we already know because oh, nice. he never really told us the answers. He helped us figure it out for ourselves. Yeah. I kind of had parents like right? that. And so that was one of my first big leaders. And I saw him also lead by example of opening our home to people that needed a place to stay for a while. Um, busy, busy executive took time off to help coach my brother's football team at the small little private school because they they had a coach but they needed a lineman and he'd gone to school he'd gone on scholarship to play football so he would get off work he'd leave and he'd go coach for no money just because he loved the kids and he wanted to help I learned about how to give uh, 100% like if you're going to do something you do it all the way or you you know you don't do it and I learned from him that wasn't like he used to say if you're going to do something don't do it at all and I realized that wasn't an invitation not to do it at all. It's an invitation to do it right the first time. Right. Um, um, so I would say definitely that. I had some amazing teachers who taught me. That's the second question was, have you ever had a teacher that jumps out? Yes. I had a teacher who I thought was the hardest teacher in the world. And I learned more from her than anyone else. And um, she would, she would, she taught me how to write a paper. Like, like you, you don't know. I didn't realize that was a big deal until I transferred because I moved around a lot. School and we're seniors, and it's time to write our senior English paper. I had no idea how to get started. I'm like, but you do the thing with the tick and your body and the head, and you do that. No, she taught me how to write, how to look at things um, critically, so that I could figure it out. Again, the leaders. They didn't never tell me how to do it really per se, like go do this. They taught me how to figure it out for myself. Well, and that's what leaders should be doing is right. Right. Yeah. Not telling you what. So Steve Jobs always said, we don't hire smart people and tell them what we do, tell them what to do. We ask them what to do. Yeah. How do we do this better? That's why we're hiring and paying you all this money. Yeah. Um, I love Steve Jobs. Um, Not his personal life. Obviously no one would want to be him, but what a marketing brilliant genius, you know? Um, and I just, I listen to him a lot when I can find snippets of him saying things, because he was that kind of person that said, look, we're, we're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We just want to, you know, we want to make fewer of them, but the more mistakes we're making, the more forward we're moving. So yeah, it's funny. I never really had a leader. There was one man that ran an organization that I was a manufacturer's rep for that I really liked. Didn't know him personally, but the way he handled business, guy, the guy was just like the best businessman. And I had a couple of teachers that were okay, but my mom was my, you know, my thing. 
my dad was a terrible father. I don't have any resentment against him. He was never trained to be a good father. He had a shitty, you know, grew up shitty. But my mom taught me how to handle him or think about him and things like that. So I don't, I don't resent him in any way. Right. I'll tell you a funny story. We had, I was a ring bearer in a wedding when I was eight years old. And I just connected with the woman that got married. It was my mom's cousin. We had seen each other here or there, but we actually are getting back together as a family. My mom's gone. My dad's gone. And we were talking to her. This was the funniest thing. She goes, well, who was that drunk your mom was married to? And I said, oh, that would have been my father. <laughs> and she got embarrassed. I said, no, don't be embarrassed. I, I'm sure the family thought of him like that. You know, right. He wasn't that. But it was just funny that she brought it up so bluntly. And I'm like, right. oh, yeah, that would have been my dad. But That would have been my dad. Says, oh, I'm sorry. I said, no, it's no big deal. No. No, I think that when you when you talk about leaders like who you've worked for, um, bosses, which should be great leaders, I probably like most people, I learned more from the horrible bosses I had. Yeah, what showed me how not to do, how not to treat employees, how not to do things. I mean, I still remember um, I was in a production company in L.A. and, you know, Trust me, they knew that if you left, there were 20 people behind you wanting your job for less money. So there was no job security. But I remember they were, they were looking for somebody. It was not a position that I would have been suited for. But I'm like, oh, you should consider Mark for that job because he's been doing ABC and he'd be so great. And she goes, well, we can't do that. We can't hire from them because if we did that, everybody would want a different job. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I always Is tell the kids, the Abraham point? Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln said, it's, I, I learned from every man I ever met. What I learned mostly was what not to do, right? What not to do. I had three, you know, pretty long management tenures at point. And I still, from those three times, get people calling me back and said, man, I wish you were still here, Ed. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't great by any means. In fact, the book, Good to Great is one of my favorite business books. Oh, yeah. And I always thought I could never be a level four or five leader. One, two, or three, I could probably handle. I just don't. First of all, I don't want to be a level four mm-hmm. or five. Those are, that's a different personality than me. Sure. But, um, and it's not bad. It's just, I'd be better. I'd be better at one, two, or three. And um, I try to encourage my kids and people to read that book. But, you know, the first couple of chapters are hard to get through because it's mm-hmm. statistical. Yeah. But I said, you just got to just get through that. Because when once you get to the meat of the book, um, it's a really good book. And, um, but I just, I don't know, man, I, you know, so I'm, I'm 61. I'll be 62 next year. I went, you know, grew up in the 80s, 70s, 80s, all that. And we had bosses that said, if you do your job, we'll let you keep it, right? That was the way they managed yeah. back then. Things have right. changed dramatically since that time. Maybe too dramatically at some level, because we always forget to go, oh, by the way, we are paying you to do this. Yeah, you'd still <laughs> have to show have up to... and do the thing yeah. that, that we hired you to yeah. do. We want to be nice to you, and we want you to take some time off, but not not the second day, right? Exactly. Need you to kind of learn the job, but but some of our youth don't get that. And and it's funny when you go back, we were talking about how the millennials and stuff. I'm having I have more problem now with people my age that don't want to do anything than some of these millennials. I meet. some of these millennials are brilliant mm-hmm. and they're good workers and they do all those things. It's the attitude that people have been poisoned their whole life and they just get a they're cynical and everything else. Those yes. are the ones that bother me almost more. Yeah. Now, yeah, I know. No, you know, when you talk about uh, management styles, and, and I go back to my dad because I found out that he didn't just do that for his children. He oh, was I a good, you did. know, he was a great boss. And one of the first things he did it was a big pulp and paper um, company, and they had what they were going to call the training center. And my dad said, No, we're not going to call it that. And they're like, What do you mean? He said, It's our education and development right. center. He said, You train dogs, you educate people. And he created this whole concept that was just a shift in words. We've talked about words a little earlier, get to, have to. And um, the other thing he did is he had started a program called the ABC program, and it was advancement by competency. So that you got your regular annual review, and if you did well, you might get the raise. But if you wanted to become more valuable to the company, you would learn a new skill. And so they would go to what we call the EDC Education Development Center, and they would take some course or learn a new skill. And it was some of it physical, like learning how to weld, and some of it was other more business, you know, uh, leadership type things. And if you pass that, then you automatically got 
an advance in pay. Well, he was kind of a pioneer in some of that too, or was learning those pioneer skills. Yeah, because yeah. this was back in the eighties. You yeah. know, this was back in the day, and um, he he really helped me understand that it comes back to how do I treat people? What do I expect of them? Um, if I expect it of myself, if I will do it, you know, don't ask anybody to do anything you wouldn't do yourself, that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, just really helping people figure those things out. Um, I think that to this day, those kind of people will be the better leaders because oh, they're I willing to, you know, do the do the work and then let's do it together and I don't know everything and you're better at that than me. There's nothing more empowering, I think, for a supervisor of some level to say, well, you're better at that than I am. So you do that. They're like, I oh. think it's almost, I think it should almost be calculated at times to do that. You do mm -hmm. that with your kids. I, you know, I hope people would do that with their kids. Yeah. And I, I give my, I acknowledge when my kids, they're, my daughters, well, a couple of them are much better at some things than I am emotionally, That's... things like that. Right. Yeah. And I will have no problem telling them that, um, you know, something when going back to COVID, my wife smiles at people. We both smile at people quite a bit. And we're in the grocery store. That was one of the things that really bothered her about having to wear a mask because she couldn't, you can kind of see her smile in her eyes, right? But that was really tough when you're in a store and everybody looks grumpy, right? Because all you yes. see is these little slits. All you see is these little, yeah. you know. That was a hard thing socially for her. And she's not as social as me when like we go out somewhere. I'm usually the one doing the talking. You can probably mm -hmm. tell, but um. But yeah, that's that's one of the things that really bothered her was the inability to just kind of smile at somebody and make their day or yeah say something nice to them because they're like, what? <laughs> what? Trying to talk to a mask all the time. Right. And you can't hear anymore because for some reason, when we put the mask on, we can't hear. Um, <laughs> probably because we all read lips more than we realized. You know, we assumed we knew what people were saying. But I think that that's a, that's a piece that people are just now getting back comfortable with of smiling at somebody I don't know, um, saying, hi, nice, nice day, whatever. Um, we, we've, some people are still like, don't talk to me. I have this wall yeah. and, and that's okay. I'm not saying everybody has to be the social butterfly, but we've, we've lost and we have to relearn how do we get along in the world together in, in a real space, in the grocery store at the, on the plane. Wow. We've really lost it in the air. Um, just that civility, that, you know, I, 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 what is that? You know, you, if in a world where you can be anything you want, be kind. Right, right. And and people have lost I just that. Posted that the other day, I think. I think I yeah, I think you that. did. Maybe that's where I recently Especially saw for it. Actually, to be nice, right? Um, well, Mavis, you're awesome. I um, I want to talk to you more at another time. You're going to stay on for a minute after I stop this, but I think we covered what we wanted to cover this time. I think we could probably do if we wanted to do a more structured podcast if you have the time i know you're busy you got stuff to do um i think it'd be awesome and i think it'd be a good way for you to sell your business too you know to talk a little bit more about your business but i tell you i know when we had that conversation we were very much in line with a lot of things absolutely and i was saying to somebody about that covid thing they're like no i don't agree with that i said well i i, I don't you don't have to agree i'm just telling this is what my perception is and i used to be in the, the business of getting people in a room to network Mm -hmm. When I go to these chamber events now, it's they're not the same. It is the first problem with the chambers are doing everything they like they did in the seventies, right? Sun. I'm surprised <laughs> they don't call them sundowners anymore, like our parents called them. But they need to, you know, kind of get a little bit more in into uh, to 2023 with these mixers. They're just kind yes. of stagnant, right? And the problem with me is that I can only sell you know moving services, corporate moving services, to so many you know, insurance agents and realtors. Right. I don't even deal with them in business. So that's where I kind of find them falling down a little bit. So is yeah. there anything you want to plug? You got to, have you written a book? Um, You know what? My, my cool book that I have to say is the big book of martinis for moms. Who doesn't want to read that book? Oh, it's. <laughs> I tell people all the time. I'm like, you wonder why I think so. Are you buying more alcohol? I said, you want, I have eight kids. Yeah. You, you think I got to give you a drink? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it, that was a, that's a fun book. It's full of a bunch of recipes and you don't have to be a mom to enjoy it. I figure most of us had a mom at some point so we can still read it. And it's just little feats and, and little things that moms accomplish. And then there's a drink reward that goes along with it. And that was, first of all, it's a fun book to read, but it was a blast to write, to oh, get yeah, to live. So that's, that's a really fun one. And maybe when I come back, we'll talk about, it. I've got another book that's I'm not quite finished with yet called Napping in the Lap of God. Oh, interesting. So you were, uh, not to keep this moving, because we all need to get back to whatever. <laughs> Your dad was a religious man? Not overly religious, but yes. Were yes, you churchgoers? We, as we children? were churchgoers. We went to, to church pretty much every Sunday. He traveled a lot, but yeah, we went to church okay. every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And he was in the paper business, you said? Yes. In what state? That's all you got to tell me. Well, we moved around a lot. We were corporate corporate brats, not army brats. We started in Washington State and then went to North Carolina and then Mississippi. Oh, those make sense. Yeah. So Pine so Tree I used to Land. Travel to Wisconsin a lot, and they had a big paper mills there too. Um, when I was when I was repping um, HVAC products. So. Oh yeah. All right, Mavis, um, you're awesome. I'll keep following you on. I'm going to send you all the information for this, but let me just do an outro here and then we'll chat. So this is Ed Franklin. Thank you very much, Mavis Lamb. Um, she has a website. I'll get you all that on the link. Um, like I said, she's going to be on here again. And um, I want to remind you, you can contact me at edfranklin.nolimits at gmail.com, or you can go to my website at no limits, uh, edfranklinnolimits, no dots, uh, dot com. And um, I will see you all soon and have a great day.